Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you, thank you, thank you, and welcome to season four of One Mike Night Podcast. I can't believe it's been four seasons already. I want to give a big thank you to everybody who's been subscribing, following, watching the YouTube podcast, everything, sharing the episodes. And also, I want to thank all the guests that have been on over the last few years. In the last year, I did over 2,000 hours of podcasting, and I can't believe it. I must have had a lot to talk about. So I want to thank everybody for joining in and listening and subscribing and just everything. This season is not going to be anything less. So we took a little break and now we're back. We're going to now combine both podcasts, One Mike Night Talk, back with One Mike Night Podcast with Marcos Luis and put it on the YouTube channel. So you have one podcast on one listening platform for audio. So thank you, everybody who's on One Mic Night Talk. If you haven't switched over to One Mic Night Podcast, please do, because that's where all the episodes are going now with special editions of One Mic Night Talk. So without any further ado, we're going to start up with the doctor, Shane Mark Tull. He's the first guest again, the resident psychotherapist, and he's coming in right now. So sit back. Thank you for joining me for One Mic Night Podcast with Marcos Luis. Get ready. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of One Mike Night Podcast. This is One Mike Night Talk. I'm Marco Luis. And of course, with us, we have our resident licensed psychotherapist, Shane Martol. He's also the author of the book, The Mental Health Pandemic. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's good to be back. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. I feel like I've, we're regular recurrent acts we are we are and that's the good thing about it we have lots of people who are watching and, and i'm so thankful this is also season four of one mic night podcast we've been around for a couple of years now so this is the first episode and i want to thank everybody for sticking with me along the way and all the guests that have come on and shared their stories and talks and conversation and inspirational journey so thank you all for for watching and, and tuning in so wow man How's it going? We took a little break for a while. How are you doing? Yes, yes. Uh, today's just a day of like expected sick is what we're waiting for to happen at 7 p.m. Uh, standard time to see this, the, this video that right. we've just been breathing. I don't know if it's a sigh of relief or are we just holding our breath? To see what the magnitude of this is, because all the buildup seems to believe that this is going to be horrific. Horrific. So what we're talking about, everybody who's uh, watching and listening to the podcast, we're talking about the Tyree Nichols case that uh, happened back on January 10th, where Tyree Nichols was stopped by five officers, uh, brutally beaten and later killed by the officers. Um, the video hasn't been released, but uh, the president and everyone else have called for this video to be released. So we are actually on the afternoon before the video release happens. What do you what do you think about this whole thing? Uh, a black man dies at the hands of police officers and black police officers at that, which is almost unprecedented. We We, we hadn't been thinking about that part. And, you know, that is my, um, I think it sets me even more because I think if, if these if these were white police officers, we're like, okay, that's an expectation. Sadly, that that's the space we're in. But the fact that these are black 
officers. These are black men killing black men. But I also want to touch on the psychology of these young black men joining the police force yes. that has so much power. And it's very clear when they join the police force, the, the, it's a clear message to them. Are you black or are you blue? Oh, as it relates to that blue wall of silence. So it, this behavior is indicative to what they subscribe to, clearly blue, and to perpetuate that kind of behavior in the time of post-George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all the other things that has, that has happened. And the inhumanity that is exhibited here, and these are the chief of police, the DA, people in, in authority that have seen it, and the underlying theme that came out of it is the inhumanity of the, and the despicable behavior. And, and these are black men beating black men, beating a black man like this, that's about us right. or to us about how we treat each other. Exactly. The lack of empathy and care. I want to. I want to hit. I want to hit you up with a couple of statistics because since uh, this is this year has been the most killings by the police since 2013. Mm -hmm. uh, 2019 there were 1,097. 2020 1152. 2021 1,145. And this year <laughs> we are on the verge of something incredible. Um, I think you hit on something that's very, very important, humanity, the humanity of it all. Um, I think that people are, you know, taking the power to do what they wanna do and turn it into treating humans as if they were animals. It's disgusting. Yes. And how do we, how do we speak to this in a way that is curative and comforting and in a way that gives us hope that this will not happen again, that this will speak to our humanity and that we will see each other as human beings. So maybe this is, hopefully it's our wake up call. Is it going to be the last one? I doubt it. Maybe something phenomenal will come out of this, where it will spark this conversation. Humanity, but more so, humanity among Black people. See each other. And that, I think that inner rage we have within ourselves and how we perpetuate that or project that onto another black man. Right. And because we have this power, we, we can execute a barbaric behavior and think it's okay. Absolutely. It is not okay. It's not okay. And I think the biggest thing too is, you know, we can talk about it. It's still going to happen. It's happened since the whole institution of the police. That's what the police, mm -hmm. you know, and police was, was founded on to, to, you know, uh, for black people to be uh, corralled, correct, and, 
put in a position, you know, where where uh, they're under control. But to see it done by five people of color is alarming. You know, so where do we where do we go from here? What what kind of reform? People have been shouting reform for police for years since, especially since 2020 with the George Floyd case. Police reform has been necessary, and then people see the dichotomy because. You know, if you they think that if you're taking money away from the police department, then the police are not going to protect you or they're not going to, you know, do do their job. But what is their job? What is their job? It's to protect and serve. It's to protect and serve. And right. it's and I think they use the whole defund the police as a calling slogan to to induce fear in people. Yes. Basically what they were saying, let's reimagine how we can funnel these dollars to prevention programs, yes. to after-school programs, to sport programs, and giving young people alternatives that they can engage in after school. They can invest these monies in the arts. Art is really powerful. It gives young people a way to express their frustration and and have a sense of agency over themselves. So you take all this money and you just put it into combat in the community. Anything you declare war against will always stay. You're always going to be in a state of war. Yes. So we really think about, let's reimagine how we take care of community. And really, when we go back to community policing, these are aspects of police, of community policing. Because let's be clear, no one wants, I want the police to be around. I want to be protected, I want to be protected. But I also don't want to be a victim or any other black person or any human being to be a victim of police brutality. Absolutely. And, and what really troubles me, I am con I'm almost 100% sure moving forward as this case begin to unfold, we will see other people coming forward stating these because they're part of the Scorpio unit, like an anti-drug. And that is fine, but it seems like they're overreaching their power and they feel this sense of autonomy that really I can do what I want or we can do what we want. Absolutely. They're, they got us. Which, which is exactly what you said a, a few minutes ago, the black wall and the blue wall. There is a blue wall. So at what point do you as an officer stand up and say, hey, to your fellow officer, stop it. We got to stop. This is too much. We're going too far. Or, you you know, can you tell on another officer when they've done something that they shouldn't have done? That's a circle that's protected by each other within the They're force. protected by each other. They're protected by the institution itself. Because the police union is very strong. There are a lot of forces at, at play that really is protect that protects them so you being a black officer in a blue environment are you able to defend who you are and defend people that look like you when they are being abused or do you just buy into this fact that hey i'm a part of the blue brotherhood we have to protect each other at every by any means necessary, and that the cause of people that look like me and you losing their lives. Right. I am convinced there'll be more cases like this from these same five black officers. It's just that this one was caught 
highlighted, it's out there. But this is not the first time they've got this clearly. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I think as this case goes on and once we see the video and more information comes out, you know, with the trial, well, first of all, we have to say, you know, we see, I guess we don't have to use the word alleged because there's a death in the case. So it's not alleged oh, yeah. killing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do feel like there's more information and there's going to be more cases that come up where you see that the brutality and that the authority was taken, you know, uh, more than it should have been, more force than necessary. That's it's going the to culture. Yep. I think that's the culture. I think from a PR perspective, the police organizations all through the country have been pushing social justice reform. They're, they're doing trainings. They're but are they really getting it? Or are they just saying, we're providing them with trainings, but are they integrating that a part of their basic training? When they get into the academy, like mm -hmm. have cultural sensitivity classes and come up with scenarios and how do you engage, in, you engage one community as opposed to the next community? Are you culturally competent? Are these things you know? Do you live in this community? You know, anyone who's doing it because in Long Island, in, in New York City, as we know, most of the most of the police officers lives in Long Island. Right. And a lot of them are not part of our is, is any of this stuff preventative? You know, so say for instance, you know, I think we need to educate ourselves as people too, because uh, I read here 32% of the cases are killings are of people fleeing from the scene. So instead of fleeing, you know, you take, you, you. I'm not saying you take what the police gives you, but listen to what they have to say. If they arrest you, go through with the arrest, file the charges later, take the name, take the badges, take the sergeant's yeah. name, all those things. You, you comply with everything that you need to do. And then you go back and you go to court and you fight it. But that's an assumption. It, and that's the assumption if they approach you in a manner that you can communicate with them. Right. It's clear yes. most times they approach you in a way that they hit you up, they push up against a wall or they throw you down or they put you in handcuffs, which aggravates a experience of this. Right. If they're just conversation where you can be left with them. And when you try that, they think you're a smart ass. Right. So well, that may that even the, make it work. You're right. And I'm not saying that the, you know, the inhumane treatment that they give to you is acceptable, but at some point you kind of have to accept it because the the consequences is could be death and we shouldn't have to and we shouldn't have to i i like i shouldn't have to tell my son when the cops pull you over keep your hands in the steering wheel yes sir no sir follow instructions make sure you're gonna weed in your car or you're not smelling like weed you know we shouldn't should have, have to. to have that. We shouldn't have, have we to. shouldn't have to have those conversations. Absolutely but not. To save their lives, we have to. Every black man has either had a run-in with the police or they've had that conversation, which is a painful conversation to have with your child. Every right. black man has had that. Yes. Or has or has had it told to, to them. them. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Right. So it's it's so where do we have this? open conversation about respect and humanity for each other. They, you know, I, I, I tell people I am pathologically committed to the mental well-being of black men.
I because it's so needed. It is. We need we need to support each other. We need to see. Uh, we need to provide spaces where we can go and articulate our feelings without judgment. Absolutely. About what it is to coexist in this body. Absolutely. That look like that look like you and I. Right. And the uh, you know I, I keep saying that surviving at in our skin is a revolutionary act. Like, think about that. You get up, there's so many things that can happen to you. Not because you're human and life happens, but so many things that can happen to you just because you're a black man. Right, yeah. And there's so many things that do happen to you. Those implicit things, those um, not-so-direct racist behavior, you go in uh, elevator or somebody step aside or a woman holds her purse more, you go in the store and they're, they're walking behind you and somebody's rude to you and you're just like, okay. All of those things adds to our mental health and it really impacts us. So I think every black man is probably suffering from PTSD. Absolutely. Just from the experience of, and that's part of their lived experience. Lived so experience. And so, I guess the question I have for you then is where do we start with that? Where do we, you know, there's, there's a certain fear that, like I said, we all have with the police. There's a certain fear. I know when I went to college, I was a freshman in, in, in the university and I'm sitting in my dorm room and I'm doing what I do and I get a knock on the door. It's the police department. It's the sheriff of the city. And yes, I will say the name Evanston, Illinois, which has its own history of racial prejudice, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so Evan, Evanston, Illinois. So I'm sitting there and the police say, Hey, um, you need to come down with us because we just looked through the freshman, uh, photo handbook and the woman at the Kinko's down the block identified you as the person who just robbed Kinko's a little while ago. I was nowhere near that place. So the fear that ran through my body at that very moment it doesn't matter if you're educated, doesn't matter if you have mm -hmm. money, doesn't matter if you have anything. If yeah. that lady had said, yes, that's him, what could have what could have happened? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's trauma that affects me. That's something that I think about a lot. So would that mean that trauma's still with you? It's still with me. It's still with you. If it's she had said, yes, that's him, where would I have gone then? Yeah. What would have happened then? You know? So it's our daily fear. Yeah. So someone just have to say you look, you look like, or you know, we uh, were coexisting in these spaces in these states where people have license to carry their arms openly, right. carry guns openly, and you know, someone can say, okay, well, I was, in f I thought he was going to do this, yeah. so I was in fear, so I reacted. Mm -hmm. One more reason to be scared. Absolutely. Absolutely. So where yeah. do we start these conversations? It's here. And engage in that broader space and really try to have, have the conversation from a place of wellness instead of pathology. Because we know all the pathologies that affect us. We're clear about that. Now, how, what do we do to correct that stuff? How do we galvanize as a people, as a community as men and provide spaces where men could come and talk about this experience that and there are a lot of there are a lot of black men that have been stopped by the police, embarrassed, 
interrogated and all that stuff, and they've never told anyone because of the shame. Yeah. yeah. I, I got to tell you, too, and, I, and I'm going to take it a little bit further, too. Um, so for those of you who are listening who are not in New York City, during the time of the 9-11 uh, World Trade Center, the months after that, in the village area and everywhere around the World Trade Center, they had police at every metro uh -huh. stop almost, especially uh -huh. at the West 4th stop. Uh -huh. There's not one time that I wasn't stopped to ask for a bag search while other people walked through being a black male every single time there's not one time that i wasn't singled out and asked to check my bag yeah and we go through that all the time i've seen it in new york city i have seen i've seen it in cuba yeah. i was in cuba mm -hmm. hanging out with my friends and the cops came by and such corral all these young black that were, were students. And I'm like, this is Cuba. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, that was an eye-opener. I've seen it in Cuba. I recently saw it in Paris. We were, I took the train from Amsterdam to Paris. We're getting off. And my friend and I were the, like, the only two black people. They did not stop. Black men, they did not stop. I don't know. Maybe they didn't see us. Or, I don't know what it was, but all the young black men, the black and Arab looking men, they pulled over and checked your bags. I'm like, we And we so John, is it reminds me that where we are, we have cognizant of our surroundings and our space and be always vigilant. You'll have that experience. Absolutely. To prepare yourself for that experience. Right. And then just damning. It's 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 hurtful, and I I think if we're able to give voice to that and, give, and use language, it will help us heal from from those experiences. It does something. It does something to your body. Mm -hmm. Every time I have to encounter a police officer, even if it's just even if it's the best of terms, my body have a different response. Yes. Yes. Sure. If, if I go to court, even if I'm going to court as an expert witness, you know, or you're you're let into a different door and you through a different way, still, I feel you, you the message you receive is that we're watching. Yes, absolutely. So let's have this conversation here. Let's invite other other black men. To black and brown men to join this conversation is this could be an opportunity for us to change to heal collectively as well as to inform police organizations this is what we experience through you let us help you reimagine what we need to experience moving forward we can educate we can inform you this is the data this is the statistic but I want us to have interactional dynamic. I want us to meet in a space where you get to see me, you get not as a her, but you get to see me as a human being, just like you. And that when you have on that uniform, what that represents, and when I encounter you, what I feel, if you could merge those two things, 
I think that's where humanity meets. That's where compassion meets. Mm -hmm. And these things will not happen. To say, okay, well, we give these, you know, a workshop on mental health or a workshop on diversity or a workshop on and cultural competence, it's not enough. You have to have weekly, monthly programs that where the community engages really with your police force. Yes. You know, where you go to those community meetings, you go out and meet with the, the community leaders, you meet with the gang leaders, the church leaders. You want to form a, a collective organization with, with the community that they feel safer, they feel that oh, you're yes. right, and they feel that you, your presence here is to protect them, not to demonize them mm -hmm. or victimize them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we're going to, uh, maybe I'll work on uh, if everybody listening and watching would like to have maybe a panel of men speaking with mm -hmm. police officers, maybe I can get some. If you know any police officers that would be willing to speak with uh, a couple of black men and men of color on the program, please inbox me. Um, they don't have to, you know, we can put a block over their face if they don't yeah. you know, want to be seen, but we definitely need to open a conversation. And I think this would be a great platform for us to open that conversation Correct. and learn more about the community and the people that serve us in our community. So we are hoping the best for Tyree Nichols and his family. Um, we'll be waiting for the verdict and we hope that there's no unrest uh, you know, in any of the cities in Memphis, I know a lot of the cities are prepared for, yes. for some things to happen, but we do hope that there is a change because this definitely is going to open up conversation, more conversation and how the police department and people of authority can better serve our community. Because if they forget, we are the ones paying their bill, their, their salary. You're working and for we, us. And we also want to, to appeal to people to protest in peace. Please protest in peace. Let your voices be heard, show up in numbers, but do not destroy our community. Which then brings me also to, this is where you vote for your council people. This is yes. where you vote for your Congress people. These are the Correct. ones who are enacting the laws. It's not the president at the federal level Correct. only. Correct. It is the people who are in your community that can make the change in your community. It also means that we need to be a part of the census when they're sending out the census so uh, mm -hmm. the government knows how to serve our community better so we can get the money for the YMCA, so we can get the money for the community Correct. organizations. This is important. Black men, we need you to step up. The black women are running everything and we need to be working hand in hand. The black women are saving democracy every day. We need to step up. And just not to step up, but to get involved. Get involved. Get involved. We need get, involved get involved with your kids. Your kids. The community. Um, association, your community organization. Even if it's just to be an elected worker. Yes. Get involved. Get That's where it starts. Your voice yeah. counts. Your voice counts. Our voice matters. It definitely matters. I think we should leave them on that note. Um, yeah. I want to thank you for joining me again for One Mike Night. As I said, One Mike Night podcast is now going to host One Mike Night Talk, special occasions, and we'll still have interviews with artists and special people along the way. Please tell us how we can get in touch with you outside of here. Uh, tell clinical psychotherapy, uh, tell 
cpc at gmail.com. All the information will be down in the notes. Please make sure you okay. share, you like, and subscribe, and comment, and subscribe to this YouTube channel because we got a big thing going on. Also, make sure you check out my new store. As I said before, it's called Azules Yen. It's the best in home decor. We have a sale going on right now, so please just check it out. The uh, link will be in the send bio. Me the, send me the link. Send <laughs> I me definitely the link. will. I would like that. Cool. Definitely. Thank you guys all for joining me for One Mike Night Podcast. And remember, be inspired by others, but most importantly, be inspired by yourself. I'm Marco Luis. See you next time. We're out. Part of the episode was recorded yesterday uh, prior to the video being released for the Tyree Nichols case. So I wanted to update you with what actually happened following the release of the video. So more protests uh, happened after the release of the video in a lot of the major cities around the U.S. And more protests are scheduled today um, and the, the, the violent arrests of Tyree Nichols and death. Uh, protesters are planning to march in a rally. Um, in different cities, including Memphis, Boston, Pittsburgh, uh, Salt Lake City, and Georgia. Now, the demonstrations on Friday shut down the Interstate 55, which is located in downtown Memphis. Um, no arrests stemming from them, no violence. It was a peaceful peaceful uh, demonstration, as, as many people asked for, including the mother of Tyree Nichols, President Biden, and uh, Attorney, ben, Attorney Crump. Um, in New York, uh, some a little bit of violence broke out uh, between several protesters and officers demonstrating the crowd in Times Squares. There were some video posted to social media, and you could see some people jumping on hoods of cars and, and things like that with the New York Police Department, um, but was soon um, de-escalated. Um, what I do want to say uh, mostly is the special unit that was assigned to the Tyree Nichols case is called Scorpion. And oddly enough, the Scorpion unit is stands for the acronym stands for Street Crime Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhood. Now, whether or not they live up to to what's been happening, I I'm not sure. I do know that reports said that um, between the fall of 2021 and 2022, that the Scorpions did produce 566 arrests in Memphis along with 250 weapons uh, that they got. So, you know, they were functioning uh, pretty well then, but in the last uh, year or so, we've now heard reports that there were other incidents where this particular unit of five police officers were involved with other people in the neighborhood that were uh, just pretty much minding their own business and uh, harassed um, wrongly and some wrongdoings. Several complaints were made. Uh, I saw an interview with one gentleman who, who actually called the unit prior to this Tyree Nichols case, said that he he made a couple of complaints or tried to make complaints. He showed his phone log where he called the internal affairs and, and uh, made a complaint and nothing happened. And so we have to think that, you know, had they taken action then, would this actually have taken place? with this brutal beating and death. Um, this is a serious matter. And what we do with this information going forward uh, remains to be seen. I think since 2020 and the George Floyd case, <clears throat> excuse me, as long as 
I can remember people have been crying out, even going back to the Rodney King incidents, people have been crying out for better protection against the police officers, those very individuals who are supposed to be serving and protecting us. Um, but the police brutality continues to to go on. We've seen it with Eric Gardner. We've seen it with several people, you know, uh, and those are only the, pro, the, the, the cases that we know about. You know, for years, New York City, where I live, has had the stop and frisk, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, we don't even we don't even take that into account. Um, how many uh, police officers have, have taken advantage of people in the neighborhood, you know, and violated their own civil liberties. So I say this to you, you know, what what are we to do? You know, how do we uh, increase awareness? And as we said in the last segment, I, I hope that, you know, some police officers would like to come to this platform and maybe speak to the community. Uh, I want to build a better relationship with the people of color in this city. And then that spectrum goes all over. It's not just black people, although we're talking about black people in this particular instance, but brown people, um, Asian, everyone across the board. How do we bring the police community to actually serve. Now, we're not saying that all police officers are bad and it's definitely not a, a color issue. It's not white, although we've seen more instances where there have been, you know, brutality from uh, non-white police officers. I mean, I'm sorry, non-color uh, police of color um, incidents against people of color. Um, and in this case, it's the other way around. So is it actually the police uniform and the power that that gives you and the authority that that gives you uh, that makes uh, a problem in the community. I'd like to know your feedback and uh, please inbox me at Marcos Luis, M-A-R-C-O-S-L-U-I-S and follow the show at One Mike Night. One Mike Night is spelled O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. Thank you guys all for joining me. Um, this is a joint episode with two segments, and um, I hope we increase the conversation here, and hopefully we can come up with some solutions in the near future to, you know, help bring everybody together and help the public feel protected. Um, so thank you for joining me for One Mike Night. We'll see you next time. Bye.